0: Really, that would be, the moon is always trying to turn us into wolves. And if you get bitten by a werewolf, then it wears (laughs) your body down enough that the moon finally wins. This week, uh, I guess every week, we talk about stuff for world building. I don't like Tully's thing, so I'm taking over now. Um, <laughs> my name is Lachlan. This has been a mutiny. <laughs> my name is Lachlan. Ahoy, with me I have... Bags. And... That. Tully lane And this week, we are discussing... Werewolves. For those of you who didn't catch that, that was werewolves. Yeah, I said it with a... <laughs> the accent, the Babylonian accent. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think Danae's gonna kick us off. If yeah, will just get into it.
2: I'll kick us off this time. Um, so I think you know, lycanthropy and and werewolfism is one of the oldest and most pervasive uh, mythical monsters that mm. we have available to us. Uh, so as a basic go-to. People nowadays are starting to differentiate the two uh, as well, basically means you don't control your transformations, you're linked to like the full moon or what have you, and like lycanthropy in some circles means that um, you are, in some circumstances, in some way, able to control your transformation, so do with that what you will. My question, I guess, is why this fearsome alter ego of us that is the wolf of all creatures, why is it always the werewolf? Now, I, I do know that um, in d d lycanthropy can come in a range of forms, from everything from the werewolf to other things, such as the werebear, the wererat, and what have you. But what I find really interesting is, once again, as you go through all of these, um, let's look at the werebear. They are still powerful lycanthropes, but werebears have the ability to temper them, their natures and reject their violent impulses. And, and you have, like, the boar, the we- the rat, the tiger, like, yeah, they can be kind of, like, dodgy, but in essence, like, they're still more human than not. And then you come to the werewolf. A werewolf is a savage predator. They have a fiery temper. They're fearsome, you know, it's terrifying. Mm. Um, a- and they're just treated, as always, as the wolf is the baddest of the bad.
3: I mean, even if you look at the the etymology, it's clear that wolves are what this is based on.
2: Exactly. Uh, So I guess my question is why? Why the wolf? And why do we host this primordial fear of the wolf? And how does that correlate to all the myths that have cropped up surrounding wolves as, as the big bad? So basically, humanity, we've always animalized ourselves and personified animals. Uh, maybe seeking to revive that sort of lost connection between them and us over time. Uh, the wolf, in particular, as I said, has always been seen as uh, inevitably more fearsome, more aggressive, more dangerous animal than, than anything else, our natural enemy. The wolf's howl is often sort of depicted as like that spooky noise that sends a shiver down <laughs> your spine, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. It's
3: the stock audio effect.
2: Right? Like all those survival movies, then like the wolf pack comes out and they're oh huge God. and dangerous. I've you just, know what I
3: mean? I've just remembered that a wolf howl is actually one of the sound effects at my work in the scary yeah, cabin in the woods room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's it seems silly, right? Because like yeah, they can be dangerous, but like any large predator can be dangerous. Like what about cougars or, or bears or Or even non-predators like moose. Do you know how many fucking people moose killed? How savage they are?
0: And it's especially weird considering, like, wolves are the one murder animal that we were like, eh, maybe we can hang out with these guys. Like, they're they're the ones that we decided would be literally man's best friend.
2: Yeah, we domesticated them into dogs. So, like, Like why do we hate wolves so much, you know? And, and then, like, incidents with wolves are extremely rare. Like, I think the statistic is something like, over the past 100 years in North America, there's two cases in which a wild wolf has reportedly killed a human being.
0: Pretty sure there are more, more cases with coconuts. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, because I read about one of the more recent ones. Uh, I know at least the most recent of those two attacks was also, like, just because that wolf were, like, was rabid and starving to death.
2: Exactly. Uh, like, for reference, cougars, bears... And domestic dogs kill more people per year than wolves.
0: Mm, crazy.
2: yeah we depict the wolf as the embodiment of absolute evil so often um, that we, yeah, we relegate them to things like the Lycanthrope or the werewolf, this cursed and terrifying monster that occurs when the wolf and the human are blended together, which, to mythology, has seems like the the greatest of evils. Mm. So there's a couple different theories surrounding why the wolf, in particular, and the first of these is that well the wolf is always depicted as a bad guy in folklore and fairy tales. If we look at uh, the Brothers Grimm, if we look at even Aesop's fables, um, things like Little Red Riding Clone Three Little Pigs, the wolf is always a bad guy that's trying to outdo the others and eat them. They, and then even back in Aesop's time, Aesop evokes the wolf as evil, untrustworthy, conniving, cowardly, greedy, thieving. But even so... And even though these folklore and these stories definitely have imprinted themselves into our more modern stories, that idea it still needed to originate from somewhere. So then we go to the second theory, livestock and wild game. Wolves do kill livestock and compete with humans for wild game, that's a fact. I mean, we cause it because farming and the decimation of natural prey forces wolves closer to human settlements. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, In the 1800s especially, wolves faced extreme food shortages, so they preyed on cattle, they preyed on sheep. And then governments tried to solve that problem by making bounties for the heads of wolves. So now wolf hunting's a lucrative business.
0: Oh, damn, yeah. Okay, and then I guess you start hunting wolves, and I imagine a lot more people are going to get attacked by wolves.
2: Right? What that?
0: I mean, that's a strange...
3: I mean, that's a strange hypothesis. Care to explain how uh, increased proximity could improve chances of attack?
0: Uh, I just felt it in my bones. That's fair.
2: But here's the thing, though, right? Like, other carnivores and predators can do the same thing. Wolves are just better at it because they're hunting packs, blah, blah, blah. Right? Mm. So, again, you're like, okay... Like, we caused it. It's annoying. It doesn't really threaten our lives. Like, why do we hate them, though?
0: Because they're us.
2: <gasps> actually, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Plot twist. Because you said the pack thing, and I was like, I'm going to fucking make a long shot right now. It's
2: not a long shot. If you look at psychology and religion, it's actually because humans identify very strongly with wolves. So, like, you know, wolves, yeah, they're very social. They live in extended family groups, packs. Uh, just like our ancestors did, and and members providing care for that family group. In the past, humans and wolves probably helped each other to hunt even before we domesticated them as dogs. In the same way, you know, ravens and wolves hunt. So for those of you who don't know, ravens will often lead wolves to game. And then once the wolves kill it, they're allowed to feed at the carcass.
4: Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah, a
2: symbiotic relationship.
3: I mean, also, in recent times, this is something we probably should have brought up in domestication, but... Monkeys have now been shown uh, certain breeds of monkey in, I believe it's uh, northern Africa, have been now seen to train wolves to hunt for them.
2: Yeah. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah. That's all terrible. God, I hate monkeys. They are just fucking freaky. <laughs> um, probably wolves also led humans to huntable game, and then we've left plenty of scraps, which was also probably the start of the domestication of, of the wolf into the dog.
0: Yeah. or, I mean. Vice versa would make sense as well. Like a, a yeah. human using like a bow and arrow to like cripple an animal that a wolf then like pounces on.
2: Yeah, mm. exactly. But then humans um, started living together in larger groups and we formed, you know, in inverted commas, civilization. We became more, in inverted commas, civilized yeah. and less dependent on and more removed from wild nature. And then we developed this idea that we were special. So now that we're special, now that we live in societies, our natural impulses, our uncivilized behaviors now have to be considered hateful or evil and need to be suppressed, because those base impulses are an enemy to civilization, and thus they're an enemy to your acceptance by the flock that you've chosen. And this, this was supported uh, over time by religion. So if we look at the good old Bible for some inspiration. Uh, In Genesis, God has a line where he basically tells humans to fill the earth and subdue it. And he says, let man have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon that earth. So in order to obey God and conquer the world and subdue all that creeps upon it, we now have to sever our connection with, you know, that that natural unruly, uncivilised world. So to live up to these moral laws that we've now imposed upon ourselves as we creep by in our civilizations, we have to deny who we were and forget about everything uh, that we did in the past that could be considered morally corrupt now.
0: We have to leave the wolves behind. (laughs)
2: Exactly. So basically, we came to hate about ourselves everything that we projected onto wolves like the natural tendency to aggressive, basic animal nature, so now they're the sort of ultimate target and symbol of our mission to overcome and tame the world, and therefore dogs, the the wolves we did manage to domesticate are just analogies for civilization, for the super-ego winning Mm. for God and, like, his law, basically.
3: Wow. Okay, so it really is, it's a man versus beast struggle.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So basically, like, our fear of, our loathing of wolves is basically indicative of our alienation from or our animosity towards unconquered nature and wildness in general and our compulsive need to overcome it and control it, it Wolves remind us of our true nature but it's that same nature that we despise so they're what basically we were not what we wanted to be and this is a big conflict of identity so the and throat basically can be seen as representing our struggle to switch from this organic to mechanistic worldview I'll leave you with Aesop's fable, The Dog and the Wolf. (laughs) Discovering a starving wolf, the dog invites the wolf to live with him and his master. The wolf happily accepts, but when he discovers that that involves being chained, he refuses. When the dog asks why and says that he's happy and well-fed, the wolf says, Then goodbye to you, Master Dog. Better to starve than to be a fat slave. Now we chose to become the fat slaves by our own choice. And the wolf reminds us that once,
0: we might have had other options. Oh, man. Yeah, wow. That
3: is gorgeous. Um, I just... I had a... As you were speaking, I had sort of a revelation of the kind of narrative that you're telling with the story of the werewolf. Um, you've heard of the, the six conflicts in literature, right? No. No? So this is, the, this is the story of... This is basically the idea that any conflict that happens... ...in any story fits into one of these six categories... ...which is man versus self... ...man versus man... ...man (laughs) versus society... ...man versus nature... ...man versus technology... ...and man versus fate. Okay, I remember my
2: theater training...
3: And and so, this plays into... ...the idea of the werewolf... ...this this supernatural struggle against... ...a transformation into an alter ego... ...which is a a wild um, animalistic sense... This is man versus self, it is man versus nature, Mm -hmm. it is man versus society, Mm -hmm. and it is man versus fate. Yeah. It is four of the six conflicts. Yeah. And arguably, if you pit um, man, if you pit this werewolf against somebody else, it's man versus man as well.
2: And also, man versus God, if you wanted to swing it that way. Yeah. Because the wolf really stands for Satan in a lot of sort of...
3: Yeah, yeah. Actually, absolutely. if you if you pit it ag- as against domestication as well, it is man versus technology. So it fits. A, you, yeah, you, you can tell all six stories through the werewolf. Right,
2: so basically, like, wolves and like, we have deep psychological scars over the concept of the wolf and what it stands for.
3: We are so. We have so much baggage. Oh,
2: so yeah. much There's baggage. Species,
0: we need to just stop dating like, ourselves. Yeah, seriously. Fucking. Oh, I was going to say branch out of it, but that probably works
2: yeah.
0: better. Just, just drop Just drop dead. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that tonight.
2: No yeah. blockers.
0: Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit now about, I guess, kind of like the social conditions that kind of like surrounded like the actual use of these myths. Hmm. Um and sort of, like, the mentalities around them. Uh, Like Danae was talking about, um, a lot of these myths kind of stem from this, like, struggle between uh, humanity and nature, which you actually see uh, progress more and more as um, these myths, as we get closer towards, like, the modern age. Because you're going from a time where, like, you're trying to originally conquer nature. You're trying to originally take over the world and build civilization. And then it's just, like, this constant struggle to maintain and expand. It's, like, all humanity thinks about for centuries onwards, from that that point onwards. Um, So it's, like, this ingrained obsession. Um, And so you see it in um, some of the, like, specific... Stories. Um, I mean, the like main kind of the main like European stories. Kind of a little bit more modern because there 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 are mentions of vampires going back to like ancient Greece. But um, one of the main Sorry, uses, werewolves. What did I say? Vampires. You know, werewolves. The ones we're doing. <laughs> this is yeah. The one the one we're doing this week. Oh. Well, see, this is tricky, because all of the, like, myths, all of especially all of like the European myths about werewolves oh, are just the same as the myths about vampires. About
3: vampires, witches, and zombies.
0: Yeah, it's like... like they're the same myth. It's the same thing. Because, again, uh, like I said in the vampires episode, we only call them vampires because that's a random Slavic word that someone came up with. Like, all of these creatures are essentially the same
3: thing. Yeah, Bram Stoker's what made the vampire distinct from those other myths. Yeah. I'm sure there's a piece of literature that made the werewolf Distinct from,
0: uh, I guess. I mean, for much of for much of English in history, they were functionally indistinct. Vampires and revenants and werewolves are all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The main difference with werewolves was uh, that you turned into a werewolf specifically. That was kind of the only thing. And I mean, even even with that,
3: you know, there was the vampire myth where they could turn into bats or dogs yeah. or rats, and so or mm, mist. Or mist. Yes, yeah, so that the transformation is still a theme in the vampire myth.
0: Yeah, there's, like, changing up from from human into something from nature, really. Mm. Um, So, these myths were... I mean, mostly that for a lot of history, but then you kind of come towards, like, the age of the witch trials. And things get (laughs) silly. Because we're looking at a time where um, Christianity is kind of in the early stages of overthrowing paganism in much of the um european and like celtic world Hmm. um and so uh and the pagans had had ideas of werewolves going back for forever um they were often um the result of some kind of like deal made with someone um typically they were temporary a lot of the like earliest mentions were um saw people that transformed for, like, set periods of time or for uh, X number of times in a year, um, okay. stuff like that. But then you kind of, like, as Christianity comes in um, and is seeking to really hammer home that, like, human-nature divide, um, they, because, I mean, the rise of Christianity represented the rise of what they saw as civilization. And kind of paganism represented this, like, return to a pre-Christian, like, natural world, uh, which is a, a theme you see all throughout um, political history. Uh, it's mm. mirrored constantly. Um, I know I talk about it all the time, but John Locke, an example that, that works for kind of everything and yeah. it just comes to the top of your head, um, wrote about how um, our domination of nature was justified because all of the world was once like the Garden of Eden. Mm. Uh, uh, and so the world was literally created with, like, fruits for us to to... Okay. Take Take that for us. You know, Um, so this like Christianity is always kind of from their very creation, dealt with this idea of like taking over nature, nature being ours, Um, and so they saw this like this pagan association with nature as very dangerous to uh, what they were trying to turn into like a Christian society, Mm. and so they started prosecuting werewolves. (laughs) Oh no! Of course they did. Yeah. So, that got real messy, real fast. I can imagine. So, a lot of, from what we can tell, a lot of the uh, trials around uh, werewolves, uh, especially from, like, the Catholic Church specifically, which is mostly what I'll talk about, um, was kind of the was about a little while before, maybe about a century before the witch trials kind of took off in earnest, um, at like the same witch trials and stuff that we would okay. think of. so this almost kind of is the seed of that idea. Mm. And interestingly, a lot of the accusations come with actual charges here, beyond witchcraft. Ah. Um, most werewolves weren't people that were charged with just consorting with something like demonic. They were charged with committing crimes as a wolf. Which was then a result of them consorting with something demonic. Oh, okay. So it's it's a witch trial with extra steps. Yeah. So it, well, it's a it's a witch trial where s- there was actually a victim for once. You know.
3: Yeah. Okay. So rather than I saw this person consorting with the devil, they must now turn in somebody else, or else we'll hang
0: them. Yeah. It's like actually.
3: Actually, these children have been killed
0: and eaten, and we need to work out what's happened to them. And so this dude was around, and I guess he must be a werewolf. Um,
2: Damn.
0: Yeah. So uh, a lot of these trials kind of resulted in um, the confessions of... uh, Surprisingly frequent confessions, actually. Um, I say surprising. They were all tortured. Brutally
3: Excellent. And no confession has ever been forced by torture. No, no not no, no, even
0: no. once. Uh, yeah, no, one of them, like, tortured to the point where they were, like, flayed and had all their limbs broken or something. And oh, then geez. they confessed what? to turning into a wolf and
3: eating some people. I wonder if that's where, like, the the modern idea of forgetting what you've done as a wolf has come from is, like...
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Like the
0: torture that they would have gone through, yeah.
3: Yeah, well, because that's a very common theme in modern Mm. werewolf myth, is Mm. that you don't remember turning into a wolf. You don't remember what happened in that time. And so if these people were denying remembering
0: it, that's potentially a way to say, well, you could have just forgotten it. Well, interestingly enough, though, they kind of don't deny knowledge a lot of the time. So what they typically do is... um, they will bring someone in under under suspicion of some murder. Um, it was typically a uh, a murder either with uh, more vulnerable victims or like larger numbers of victims. Something that would create kind of like public outrage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the church would capture the the suspect um, and try to get them to confess to their crimes, to confess to their werewolfism, and that their werewolfism was. ...the reason that they did this thing. Yeah. Of course, people would not then confess to that... ...because that would be a a stupid thing to do... ...to tell the Catholic Church that you were a werewolf who ate kids. Probably not something that they'll deal with in a very responsible and, you know... ...like, thorough manner. Don't know what you're talking about. The Catholic Church has always been trustworthy. (laughs) Always. So um, So the Catholic Church then decides, okay... Well, we start torturing you now, and we're going to continue to present the charges. Really,
3: much like a witch trial, there was no winning.
0: Yeah. And but it's kind of interesting the way that there was consistencies in the stories that were told, or at least in the reports of the stories that were told. The thing that was all that was really common to all of these myths is to all of these stories rather was typically the person became a werewolf after having some kind of shadowy deal with uh, a, a strange figure, uh, t- typically believed to be a demon of some kind, um, who then gave them some magical item that would give them the ability to turn their body into the body of a wolf. Um, a lot of the time, and the reason that the church could justify being so like strict on it was because there were... Like they were going through this process of like associating pagan uh, spiritual beliefs with, uh, with like s- with Satanism. Yeah. Um, so they were. So they had to um, make it so that these werewolves were not victims of circumstance in the way that you see now, because the myth kind of shifted in modern times, and there's even. even something of like a, a sympathetic kind of idea now even
3: like, there's very much a, a tortured werewolf Is that yeah
0: someone who's cursed yeah uh, whereas um, the church was saying at this time that it was a, it was a choice it was typically uh, you would give up your belief in God um, would be your payment um, Wow and or, or at least that, that comes up a few times uh, one of them I believe the conditions were literally just that they had to eat human flesh. Uh, that's a, another weird thing, this like association with werewolves and a desire to eat human flesh that doesn't seem to come from anything we've ever thought or said about wolves, except for maybe one ancient Greek story where Zeus turns someone into a werewolf for eating some human flesh. I
1: love that.
0: So like maybe that's what that is. Yeah,
3: I'm trying to think if there's anything to do with like Romulus and Remus that has the same but I don't think so.
0: All I could think of is maybe the association with, like, the life essence stuff of vampires.
3: Mm, coming from that similar sort of mythos.
0: Yeah, but it's weird. So, um, typically what they would get is they would get either an ointment or a belt were the two thank main things. Daddy. Um, <laughs> God. Uh, the belts would be, like, made of, like, wolf skin or, like, in the shape of a wolf or whatever. Or they'd just, like, rub this, like, ointment on their skin and then... Switch into a wolf's body and be like overcome with these murderous urges or feel free to act on the murderous urges that, that they got their powers to do in the first place. Huh. Um, and then they just go off and slaughter some folks. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a messy segment, but more or less the point I'm trying to get across is that these stories uh very political in nature or at least are almost always used in a very political way um, the people making accusations like this and spreading like fear of these things uh, typically have some kind of ulterior motive which is some kind of like ulterior aim that they're trying to accomplish which is I think very much worth considering because even in a world where empires exist um, their use would still be the like invocation of the werewolf mythos would still be just as political. Mm. Um, and yeah just kind of like so it typically yeah it's just like this struggle between us and nature yeah it's like fear of as the, like they were saying like returning from whence we came you know yeah Slipping back, especially at, in a time where imperialism was at its absolute and like colonialism and stuff were like at, at its absolute peak it's like fear of returning to a, an uncivilized or savage time you know yeah so it's very much like I used massive air
3: quotes there yeah, um, it's very much like a. This is the struggle between the desire to be civilization and this the, the pagan return to the earth.
0: Yeah, well, I would I would suspect that it comes from this desire to rather than try to improve conditions in society, make society feel like it is a reward in and of itself. You know, mm. like make it feel like it's something valuable on its own regardless of what that society is like and if you manage to and if you're a powerful religious organization that wants to keep that power then probably the easiest way to do that is to say that i don't know if you talk to strangers or go out into the woods wolf men will eat you fucking uh don't do that just yeah uh, don't don't and it's Stay like us listen to what we say we'll keep you safe yeah, they're not
3: our rules. They're the rules of the of the werewolves. they the the bad people did this. Yeah, look, we
0: have to be the good guys. We're torturing the werewolves. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> Jeez, it's it's such a strong argument
3: for we're the we're the good guys. We do the torturing. Mm.
0: It's so much more yeah. like these these stories. Uh, I think werewolves are just a, a good example of it. Are so much more a tool than like mm. a fable or anything, which I feel like we're we're so willing to classify these stories as. It's. It's interesting
3: to think of myths as always serving a purpose. I mean, this isn't something that I've looked at specifically in an academic sense, but we've looked at the vampire myth being a way to to deal with um, this fear of death and this fear of illness. We've talked about the werewolf myth being a, a fear of nature and a fear of, um, I guess, re- revolt by the common folk. Yeah. Um, I mean... Mer, merfolk really do represent a fear of seduction and a fear of the
0: deep, a fear of the ocean. Which again, like, plays into that fear of nature. Yeah. It's. This, uh, as Karl Marx would put it, the metabolic rift between humanity and Ooh, the natural boy. world. Woo! Love that. Yeah, right?
3: What a fucking good thing. Um, but yeah, when we're looking at these myths, it's always worth trying to see what the purpose was, whether it was to, you know, Scare kids away from swimming too deep, or or like from jumping into the ocean, or whether it was to um, dispose of our bodies properly, or if it was to you know as as a method of controlling
0: the population. Yeah, and I mean, I would go I would go a step further and say it's worth doing that with anything ever, absolutely, even beyond the purview of this show. One of the most important things I think that you can do as a human being is if you are told a piece of information, you have to work out why that person wanted you to hear that. And if they don't have a reason to benefit from it, if nothing if they don't stand to gain, then find out who told them and find out who told them. Because someone came up with that idea for a reason. And I feel like it's you can't responsibly know things without knowing what the implications of those things are. Yeah, knowledge is dangerous. Just don't know things. No, no things, but know more things. Know all the context of the thing, as well as the thing itself. Otherwise, you're just going to, I don't know, be bad and worse, I guess.
3: I mean, I yeah, I absolutely agree with the sentiment. you got to know what the purpose of any piece of information is, why it was made the way it was made, and why it's presented yeah. the way it is.
0: Well, because like vam- uh, vampires, I keep saying it, werewolves and stuff, Like something we take as such a given, something we have such defined ideas of. I imagine there are many people out there in the world who don't realize that the major popularization of that myth was the uh, ca- the Catholic Church's struggle for supremacy um, in the imperial age, as they were torturing and murdering people for power. Oh, you just wait until I talk about schools, baby. I but I know. Oh but fuck. But I'm just saying, like, like stuff like that. Stuff that would be so easy to dismiss as just like a fun fictional idea is like such an insidious and dangerous like political choice someone made yeah to even come up with that I don't know I just think it's uh, you are not immune to propaganda in the words of Garfield
3: absolutely yeah, <laughs>
0: um,
3: so to take this in a completely different uh, non-political route um, what I'm gonna to be talking about is um, I'm gonna be trying to answer the question. How can somebody gain mastery over their lycanthrope form?
0: I have been wondering this, personally. Yeah. For a friend. Yeah. So this'll be good. Um, so, essentially, this, this
3: is mainly to talk about... Um, the, just the concept of lycanthropy, So it could be werewolf. Uh, it could be, as the extended mythos goes, any other creature that fits into the transforms at the full moon is infected by bites. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about this, but what I need to establish first, the most important part of this, to know how to gain mastery over this form, you've got to know what causes it. So, what does cause lycanthropy? Um, here I'm going to approach my trusty monster manual, um, a book that I have referenced a few times in the past couple of episodes, and I'm going to continue to do so. Um,
1: so relevant.
3: Yeah, I know. It's almost as if we're talking about monsters for a game or something. Um, so essentially, one of the common threads in wolf, uh, werewolf myths, especially the modern werewolf myth, is the curse. It is a curse of lycanthropy. So what happens is, you are, if you are bitten by a werewolf, um, then you, the following full moon will transform yourself. Um, there are also myths of families that have had lycanthropy passed down through the generations. Um, and it is an inherited curse.
0: And again, I, I, I would just quickly note that this like shift away from like werewolves by choice to like werewolfism as a curse, again, just like with vampires, really like coincides with this like development of thinking in the like Western world, rather than the Enlightenment. Mm. It's I don't know. I just think it's really I think it's really weird to see how much that affected stories and stories like this.
3: Absolutely, and at some point. Once we have weeks and months to research and people who can actually speak with authority to guest on the on the show, we might talk about um, non-Western approaches to RPGs. Oh, that would be so good. Um, it's it's just such a huge topic that we do need experts with us for it. Um, but it is worth just as a thread. Everything we've said is when we look at it from a Western point of view. This is how it is. From other cultures, it's very different, mm-hmm. and it's from other cultures like. Spoken culture and overt culture, all the way down to different ways of knowing things. Yeah,
0: and it's difficult to deal with like myths and stuff like this, especially ones that come from so many different cultures. Mm-hmm. Like, because the modern myths almost invariably come from England and Europe, because they crushed out all the other cultures. Um, so, like, when we our focus on the like European and English speaking origins of these myths, is really mostly attributed to the fact that the rest of the stories were either stolen by these people or gotten rid of by these people because yeah. they wanted their stories to be there instead. And,
3: and it's it's an English language setting essentially. Yeah. The high fantasy is very much an English language domain based on medieval or you know Enlightenment era yeah. Europe. Um, anyway, cool homebrew
0: stuff for that though. Check it out.
3: Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to jump back to what causes like Lycan- him. So, one of the big things is that it is a bite by a werewolf that causes this. Not a wound, but a bite. Um, So, in in the stat blocks here, in the the myths, in all the legends, if you get scratched by a werewolf, nothing happens. You get injured. If you get bitten by a werewolf, that is where you get um, infected. Um, So, I'm going to talk a little bit about gameplay here as well. When you get bitten, you've got to make a saving throw for constitution um, against the werewolf's constitution, which is defined by your health, stamina and endurance. That's what constitution does, so it's a very physical attribute. Um, But also they must transform under a full moon, which implies that there is some magical element too, as well as in previous systems um, you had to use remove curse to get rid of it rather than cure disease. And in later editions, sometimes you can't even use Remove Curse for that.
0: I would be hesitant to be able to remove something as potent as Lycanthropy with anything short of a wish. Exactly. And I will
3: get to that in just one moment. Okay. So, if this is transferred, it it, it must be magical. We've established this. If the full moon is what triggers this, there's no physical way to explain why only the full moon would trigger the transformation. It's got to be magical. Yep, because yep. Moonlight, even if it would be distinct from Sunlight in some way, Moonlight is still around when the Moon is half
0: full. So... Werewolves are just people at high tide. <laughs> so...
2: Just <Yeah. laughs>
3: wow. So, this is a curse. It's definitely magical. But also, it's transferred not by claws or weapons, or by just willing it on somebody. It's not an act, It's not something like that. It is only by bite. So that Im- implies that it's a fluid-borne pass- pathogen, specifically with saliva. So, um, and it also is known to lie dormant until the next full four, four moon, at least in the short term. So it obviously doesn't trigger an obvious immune response. It can also be inherited from generation to generation. And if it's inherited by generation, it is incurable.
0: Interesting.
3: Yes. So, Here's my hypothesis. Lycanthropy is a fluid-borne magical virus. I love it. Yeah. Um, So essentially this is using a a concept known as proviral latency. The idea is that the virus genome is actually integrated into the host cell rather than just the virus uses the cell to multiply. Um, So the virus becomes a part of the cell. Um, It becomes impossible to separate this virus from the cell without without killing it entirely yeah. um, so this specifically this form of proviral latency that I'm talking about uh, is a very similar concept to the way HIV works the reason that it is um, so hard to detect and that it lies dormant for so long is that um, immune response is just not enough because it lies dormant for so long um, so, I'm trying to find the term so you can actually look it up. I believe it is called... Here we are. Reverse transcriptase um, helps create a, a DNA copy of the RNA genome. So, the, the latency lets HIV basically sit in the cells and completely ignore the immune system. Nothing happens until the immune system is compromised... And then it flares up and does horrible things.
0: Oh, so it's like, it's integrating with the immune system for pretty much that whole time.
3: It becomes the new cells, it becomes a part of your cells.
0: Ah, yeah. I just didn't, I didn't realize how much it like spread. That's.
3: Yeah. Um, so the reason that that is relevant um, is that um, essentially it's both disease and curse, right? Um, it doesn't cause local. Inflammation—it just happens there. So, if you get bitten, you can ignore it until the next full moon, at least. In fact, if you want to really go by the the similarities to HIV, these kind of viruses take a long time to spread throughout the body. They're vicious once they do, but they take a long time. So, you could skip a few moons or have mild transformations the first few. Um, But the big thing here is, it because it becomes a part of your cells, it gets inherited. As part of the new DNA, yeah. so your kids will just have it. Creating like whole families of werewolves. Exactly. So, um, essentially, <gasps> a werewolf pack. <gasps> That's beautiful. Oh so the idea behind this is that when the full moon happens, um, the full moon triggers the curse at full potency, which is uh, a way for the la- a way to undo the latency, essentially. Um, it's a trigger for the, the virus to suddenly come out in full force and make the transformation happen.
0: I mean, if we were to really lean into the like, HIV parallel, then according to that logic, really that would be the moon is always trying to turn us into wolves. And if you get bitten by a werewolf, then it wears your body <laughs> down enough that the moon <laughs> finally wins.
3: I want to die. <laughs> um, so this is where I'm going to jump into back into that first question how can it be overcome or controlled so
1: fucking
3: nice end of episode that's a wrap Go and on. this has been Dungeon Deep Dive thank you for listening <laughs> uh, so there are racial bonuses that cause immunity to disease or not immunity but um, bonuses fortifications against it um, or, but this is due to a concept called the inherent immunity and so that isn't uh, immunity to things that you Having it encountered, um, for this reason, I'm not going to count that as anything to do with uh, immunity to this virus. Um,
1: okay, fair
3: enough. So, assuming that this is um, something new that would be acquired immunity that would go up against it, this isn't going to. That's not going to help. Racial bonuses are not going to help. Class bonuses, however, might be more effective. Yeah. So there's the monk has at level ten mastery of the flow of ki grants immunity to disease and poison not magical disease and poison but disease and poison so the implication here is that um, the, it doesn't grant immunity to the curse but the flow of pathogens is controlled consciously through meditation so perhaps um, a monk would be aware of something wrong because they're aware of the flow of ki yeah um, perhaps it would be that it spreads more slowly because they can control it um, but the curse is still active. It's just that the virus is harder to transmit.
0: I mean, realistically, uh, being able to control like the flow of your key could be the equivalent of like an immune response to mm. uh, to like a werewolf curse. Like using your key, like channeling all of your key into just like fighting off of the, fighting off the curse. Mm. Um, now, there's also paladins
3: um, who have lay on hands. Um, and then you can also use like clerics and cl- the cure disease spell. But um, Lay on Hands cures disease. So it may have a partial effect, but it wouldn't suppress the curse. Mm. So potentially the curse can protect the virus or just makes it harder to do. It can get rid of it locally, part of the disease wears out, but it's not going to cure it entirely. They also have a level 3 thing called Divine Health, which um, means that they're immune to disease as of level 3. Again, that's calling on a higher power to grant control suppression over the disease. I feel like a curse is a lot harder to control. It doesn't protect you from curses. And as such, God can't help you here.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, immu- assuming we've got proviral latency in this werewolf, uh, in this um, lycanthropy, immunosuppression can cause reactivation of the virus. Yep. So if you if your immune system is suppressed, like when the moon comes out, like, <laughs> um, yeah, if, if the, your immune system's repressed um, repressed or suppressed, it can come out. Um, so here we come into the field of psychoneuroimmunology, which has produced replicable replicable results that increased cortisol and adrenaline suppresses autonomic functions like immunity. This, auto, this immunosuppression could cause that transformation outside of the effects of the moon. So, here's we get to how do we act consciously trigger this. There is a thing called the Wim Hof Method. Now, if you've heard of Wim Hof, Wim Hof is known as the Iceman. Um, of course He's set numerous world records for endurance At both extremely high and extremely low
0: temperatures Well Iceman's so, a bad name then isn't it?
3: Ice, ice sitting um, The fastest Barefoot marathon at Negative, de- ne- negative temperatures Highest that's The fastest marathon at Unassisted marathon in excess of
0: 40 degree heat This
3: guy's Just...
2: surely a masochist in the bedroom <laughs> <laughs> like, Has to be phew. Has to be
0: I'm just imagining, like, a like a 15th century, like, circus sideshow featuring the world's warmest boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but essentially, Wim Hof has been known to
3: have these... He's set, like, 20 world records. Um, stupid amounts of endurance, specifically at high and low temperatures. Okay. But the method that he set out is... Um, there have been n- numerous attempts to debunk what he's done um, by journalists and by doctors and by scientists, and they've actually all ended up in further research suggesting that potentially it's it's a real deal. Good. Um, it's it's one of those things where everyone was like, This can't be true. This guy's a, a sham. And then they went and explored it and they are like, actually he's got a point. <laughs> um, so essentially the and before trying any of this, absolutely go Check out the the resources that Wim Hof himself has provided, because there have been deaths related to it, just due to fainting in pool places. No. So just people are, like sit in a freezer. Just I people know, have in the desert. gone swimming and fainted at the bottom of the pool. Dear God. Um. Yeah. Essentially, it's it's a combination of practice breathing exercises to create this intense hyperventilation, um, combined like, in in a meditative fashion, and then. Um, increased adrenaline levels through exercise, for, um, which creates a decreased immune response, um, giving resistance to cold uh, in the short term. Um, okay. So essentially, what we're doing is hyperoxygenating the blood uh, and all the cells in the body, and then that will, and then exercising to increase cortisol. That's that's how we do it to immune us. That's to suppress our immune system. It's pretty simple. So. Characters that can innately do this. Barbarians. What is a rage if not just hyper increased adrenaline?
0: Yeah, fair.
3: So if a barbarian rages, that's increased adrenaline and cortisol. That, that could trigger a preemptive wolf transformation.
0: All right, subclass, even those, um, those rages are then inherently associated with specific predatory animals too. Yep. Um, I believe that's the primal path. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. But um, imagine
3: a barbarian doesn't know they're in, they're um, infected yet. But with every rage, they get more and more wolf-like,
1: Oh, because yeah. they've
3: contracted the virus and they're activating it before the next full moon. They're like slowly just wearing their immune system down. Exactly. Um, monks with the control of ki could choose to actively, with the breathing exercises and their control of everything in their body, could choose to suppress or. Um, or let go of this immune response Yeah, they could choose to activate it You know, burn a key point something like that um, as, a, as a way of consciously doing it um, you know paladins call on big daddy god do whatever you do I don't know um, but uh, magic users even have haste uh, the fast and slow spell uh, or expeditious retreat how do you explain them apart from increased adrenaline and magical um, yeah just in a magical way So, those things, if not being caused by that, could cause that spike in cortisol that means immune immune suppression, which means a wolf transformation. Um, So, what I'm saying is, if you need to bring out your wolf side, you need to get angry. You need to meditate and then get angry.
0: And if you, as a DM, need to force out some people's wolf side... Get them angry. Pretty much any action that a player does in D and D will apparently justify you turning them into a wolf now. <laughs> so, yeah. um,
3: essentially, that's that's where I'm at is that if you want to actively try and con- control and harness um, this as a conscious step, um, I'll be honest, there's not much research on controlling a murderous wolf persona um, anywhere in psychiatric literature. Yeah, not a whole lot of um, journal
0: articles on that one.
3: Yeah, there's not much peer-reviewed literature. So, essentially the way I would work it is it seems that the longer in in the myths, it seems the longer that a person has been infected, the more chance they have of controlling what they have. So, which again lines perfectly with
0: immune system. Yeah.
3: So, if you manage this the more times they have transformed, um, the lower the DC for a wisdom score for a wisdom saving throw or something like that is. Um, that it gets easier the more they transform to gain control over it. Um, And if they use this transformation more outside of the full moon, they may gain the ability to suppress it during the full moon. Maybe not completely stop it, but suppress it, maybe.
1: Um,
3: So that's, that's some limitations that you can use for your own world to logically start creating rules for how you could create... or how you could... Get your characters to control these things.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, with that, I suppose we'll uh, head off for a moment. Talk about talk about uh, a little a That's little we'll for you. yeah, a little we'll suggestion, and we'll be right back.
2: Welcome to Dungeon Deep Dive. It's just been a few moons and we have been discussing a nice little story hook for you, and this is what we've come up with. You're deep in the forest, and the 80 year old cleric party member of yours has just revealed to the rest of your party that he is a werewolf. (gasps) But it's okay.
0: Oh, well, never mind that.
2: He says he's a cleric saloon, goddess of the moon, prophecy, and good lycanthropes. Catch! He claims that Saloon has given him the holy task of turning the rest of you into werewolves to form a pack called the Hounds of Saloon so you can descend into the Nine Hells to do battle with devils. What's your reaction? Do you let the cleric bite you? Or do you say, fuck no, and try to kick him out of the party? Or even backstab him and kill him?
3: Uh I I absolutely love this because it's... It's a message from God which means you can just bestow plot upon your players, but also it's then enforced by one of your players.
2: Exactly.
3: So good to turn the party against each other.
2: Oh, I love that.
3: Well, cuz the thing is you know that the party the party is going to stick together as a game group. So whether or not they stick together as a character group, they're likely going to be together and work against each other within that party. Yeah. It's yeah good that's shit.
2: Complex. Well, that's all from us this week. Thank you so much for sticking around for another episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. Uh, Please catch up with us on all our socials at uh, Dungeon Deep Dive.
0: Um, If you'd like to send us an email, hit us up at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. And if you'd like to hear the secret episode of this show full of uh, forbidden chants, then just stand at your window at 3am this morning.
2: And us $5.
0: Look outside. There'll be a bird. Venmo the bird $5. Venmo the bird <laughs> 5 bucks. It's <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll email I'm you the bad. link. Yeah. <laughs> um, but
3: in all seriousness, uh, we would love it if you could also jump on your podcaster of choice. Give us a, a rating and a review. Uh, it really helps get our, our name out to other people. And Unless um, it's a
0: bad one, then don't.
3: Fuck off. And uh, also, please share us with, you, with your gaming table. Most of what we give you is more world-building advice on how to do it rather than hard and fast rules. So it won't give too much away, but um, we would love it if you could bring, bring your love of this show to some other people who would enjoy it. Okay, bye!
4: The TV shows we watch say a lot about ourselves.
2: Like how political dramas allow Kurt to escape from real-world politics.
4: And how Jane's obsessed with identity themes in teen drama.
2: (laughs) It can be tricky to work out why we love the things that we love. And that's why we started the podcast, Made You Look.
4: Bothers me in superhero shows. Right. I don't know why. Each week we pick an episode of one of our favourite TV shows and force the (laughs) other person to watch it. Sometimes we actually manage to convince each other that these shows are great. I really appreciate that it could be super expository without being super expository. And sometimes we, mostly Jane, uh, pulls them to absolute pieces. Hey,
2: you can't just hang a lantern on it. And expect me not to notice that that's a dumb plot point to get you from A to B.
4: It's always a pretty fun time. And sometimes we discover new things about ourselves, our friendship, or something about the media we consume. Oh, our friendship. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Come find us. Made You Look is now available on the That's Not Canon podcast network.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.